One of the basic rules of journalism is that you report the news without fear or favor. People who follow politics in Florida know of a must-read news site whose publisher says he does not play by those rules. The news site is called Florida Politics, and on that site it can be hard to tell the difference between what's news and what's advertising. I don't think I've ever held myself up as a journalist. I've said that I'm a publisher, that I publish the work of other journalists. Peter Shorsh has built up a near-mythic stature in state political circles. He will determine whether or not something is news in the state. He blamed me for her loss. It did, that election didn't have anything to do with me. Even so, we heard the same story from politicians running the gamut, from liberal Democrats to Republicans who favor former President Donald Trump or Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Consultants, corporate interests, and lobbyists take out those ads, too. Those who neglect to do so might suffer in Florida politics, either from negative coverage or none at all. Welcome to Why Are We Like This, the podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene it is. I'm your host, David Quinones, and I'm joined by our co-host, as always, Tomas Kennedy. Tomas, how are you? Uh, you know, um, I'm not even going to get into it. It's a, it's a day. <laughs> it's a whole <laughs> last day. Yeah. It's a whole last week. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> if, I'm being, if, if I have Thomas on one side of my screen, that means that I have, of course, on the other, our other co-host, uh, Gerald. Hello, Gerald. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm bad. Same as everyone else. <laughs> Generally bad. Yeah. Things are, I don't know, what do you want me to do? No, are, this is terrible. Uh, so, you know, there's only one story in the media right now. And there's only one thing that anybody is talking about. And that, of course, is the decline of journalistic standards in the state of Florida and political media, yeah. which is what we're going to be talking about today. We do not have time for news and notes this week as we have a cavalcade of guests who are going to be uh, helping us dive into this topic uh, of, of, a, of a case file today. Um, we are focusing on Florida politics. Some might say, hey, you guys talk about Florida politics every week. Sure. But this week we are talking about the specific part of the Florida media ecosystem that is the website floridapolitics.com. The site was founded back in 2013 and is run by a conservative gadfly, Tampa political fixture, and Disney adult, ugh, Peter Schorsch. At first blush, it's a fairly straightforward news gathering operation. It has well-sourced professional reporters putting out daily outputs of uh, pretty well-edited content. It has a, a bit of preoccupation with the comings and goings of key people in the lobbying or consulting world. It's also the go-to place for palace intrigue-style bullshit political stories, stories about petty rivalries, rumors, scuttlebutt, but it's also the source of one of the worst-kept secrets in Florida media and politics, which is that like many other less prominent digital media outlets that you've heard us talk about here on this show, it is a bald, floridapolitics.com is a bald-faced pay-for-play operation that does not disclose its financial interests. Last week, NPR and Floodlight collaborated on a report about floridapolitics.com, which bills itself as this Politico-style news organization operating in a gray area of journalistic ethics, taking money in exchange for coverage. Um, Tomas, how would you, in your experience, describe what floridapolitics.com is to sort of level set for, for the listeners? A... a pay-to-play blog with uh, a very niche uh, audience of, you know, mostly grifter lobbyists. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums, sums it up. <laughs> have you ever been, have you ever been, because um, you're a pretty prominent person in the in the realms of, of different Florida political circles, have you ever been called out in it? Have you ever been like, a, a you know, has your name ever graced the pages of, of, of Florida? Yeah. 
<laughs> we should do a little. We should do a little um, uh, disclosure. We should do a little disclosure here. I have a few bylines of my own up on Florida politics. I think you do too, right? Uh, I've I wrote like I think like two or three op-eds that they published. Uh, hasn't been for a long time, but full disclosure, I swear to God, I didn't pay for them. <laughs> Me neither. I did not pay for them, and I was not paid either. No, I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would never, ever. I would never pay for a placement anywhere by the way but especially not in florida politics gerald like like me you've worked in newsrooms um for a while mm -hmm. uh what strikes you as we were preparing and researching for this episode like what strikes you about this model um that maybe isn't immediately obvious to somebody who isn't like you know paying the, the who, who who might see this and just be like oh well you know uh esserman toyota pays for you know ads in the miami herald how is that bad Right. So a lot of people here pay to play um, and they say, well, the two things. One, even on like a morning show, you might see like the following segment was paid for by, uh, I don't know, the vacuum company. And then they spent all the time talking about how wonderful this vacuum is and how it can clean your... Blood by my vacuums from the vacuum What's company. nefarious about that? They disclosed that they got sponsored and they showed a product. Okay. Um, problem is... Not only is this guy passing off that type of stuff as journalism, he is uh, alleged, well, I mean, you know, a lot of people have come forward, but I'll just say allegedly, um, uh, not just engaging in pay to play, but pay to make it go away, which is, uh, there's something, something, <laughs> something specific nice, about that. Nice campaign you got there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is, I, I want to try to like, um, before we get to our guests, I want to like draw a line in the sand between this and some of the other pay for play operations that we've talked about here on this show in the past where um, like they come with sort of an ideal. A lot of the other ones come with a sort of ideological bent, right? Tomas, where they're they're pretty committed to right wing causes and it just kind of so it, it helps that, you know, that they feel that way because they are also able to cash the attendant check for feeling that way. Um, this is something different. This is like a, this is a real, you know, yeah, it's uh, supposed a free to be agent. Like hard, hard news, non-objective news. You know, they're they're basically pitching themselves as, um, you know, the political uh, alternative of Florida. Like uh, political is in the website, you know. Yeah. So before we get to our first guest, Miranda Green, who was the um, who is the director of investigations over at Floodlight, and who was the uh, the main byline on this story. Um, I, what, what do you guys think? You think this could work for us? Should we embrace the pay-to-play model or the play to pay to make it go away? I pitched that we should have a GoFundMe uh, to get us placed like on the it. site and see how it goes. That's my pitch. I think. I think. Let's see how much we can raise. It'd be fun. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't donate to it. <laughs> 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 We're now joined by Miranda Green, Director of Investigations at Floodlight, who shared the byline with NPR's David Fulkenflick. And um, Floodlight's this nonprofit newsroom. It's, it's very much kind of a new, a new style of uh, investigative reporting that we're seeing that's that's paying a lot of dividends, sort of similar for those that don't know to like the ProPublica type of model. And I'm just wondering, to kick things off, Miranda, how working for Floodlight, where the interest is in, you know, uh, reporting on the powerful interests that, that are stalling climate action. How did this particular story about FloridaPolitics.com land on your radar? 
Yeah, I mean, you would not necessarily think that they go hand in hand, right? When you think about climate change and then you think about a local Florida, you know, politics site. But actually, uh, I spent almost an entire year last year working on a series of stories with both David Fulkenflick and another colleague of mine, Mario Ariza, who's based in Florida, specifically looking at how utilities across both Florida and Alabama were using a consulting firm to basically manipulate the news. And they were doing that in a variety of ways. They were basically, you know, paying for coverage. They were also buying up newspapers themselves and determining their coverage. And then they were kind of relying on a lot of connections they had with the people who worked as publishers and editors and other kind of one-off online publications to kind of push messaging that worked for them, whether it be anti-solar messaging or specifically targeting politicians who were running on positions that were counter to what these utilities wanted. And so as we were digging into those stories, Florida politics came up a lot. And so we did include it a bit in our piece, but everyone we talked to said, there's a lot more here than you realize. There's a lot going on with Peter Schwarz and you should really give it its due. And so we decided at the time to kind of pull back on some of the reporting we had there and hold it for another day, which is what the culmination of the story is. Yeah, I want to just ask you, you know, because I, I did a a piece recently, uh, I do a little bit of amateur journalism uh, uh, related to how these sort of like pay to play blogs have propagated in Florida. And there's so many on the right wing, right? There's one called Florida's Voice that, you know, we also got receipts of them basically taking payments um, to puff up these like right wing political campaigns, you know? But, and, and I think it's, I don't actually, you know, it's not that I don't mind it, but, you know, there's always going to be partisan and opinionated media. It is what it is, freedom of speech. But like, you know, you have to disclose to your readers when you're being paid, right? Like that I think is is the sin here, that you're like misleading your readers while pushing an opinion for a special interest. But, you know, something like Florida's Voice, it's like a very partisan uh, right-wing blog, right? And, and David, when this story broke out, you had a great uh, tweet or repost or whatever, where, you know, because Peter reacting to it, he said that, you know, actually, we do great journalism. We covered COVID and Florida politics from a non from a, from an objective, informational point of view. And David said that's actually kind of like more insidious in a way because he is like sort of masquerading this like pay-to-play content, right, for these special interest groups behind this veneer of just like objective, truthful by the book journalism right so like i don't know like i just want to get your opinion on that like do you have the same sense of this yeah i i mean you you explained it you explained it really well i think the 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 main issue here is that we are you know we're 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 in a new age of journalism we are we have stepped far away from the days of local newspapers being print papers that were shown to your doorsteps not only is most of reporting and most news come to people online, but a lot of those local papers don't exist anymore. So people have really been left with an information vacuum. So not only that, we are now paired with anyone can create a newspaper online. Anyone can create anything on a website and call it news. So the question is, where's the distinction? What's the distinction between what someone calls news and what actually is news? And so when we were writing this story, especially, you know, David is a media reporter, so this is something he's very interested in, but it's, you know, when you look at what 
the news media says, you know, there are a standard list of ethics that reporters have to abide by. You know, there's a business side of every journal of every journalistic entity, but there's supposed to be a very solid wall between the money there and the coverage and never the two shall meet. I mean, that is the standard, you know, dream in journalism. That's kind of the, the gold standard. And yes, there are publications that skew to the left and skew to the right, but they still have that wall, you know, they might, and they're open about their coverage. You know, you're going to have a place like Fox news. that's obviously catering towards, you know, conservatives. And then you're going to have a place like the nation, which is obviously catering towards liberals and they're okay. And they're open about that, but they also label their stories when they're paid for by other people, because that is a standard practice. What we're seeing with Florida politics and specifically in this story is that he essentially is trying to do it both ways. You know, he calls it Peter Schorsch, the publisher who he spoke to extensively for this piece. And he got to speak to us on record and he did a radio hit for us. You know, he calls it combination journalism. And that's where you get into this really kind of great <laughs> yeah. dystopian term. That is a truly dystopian. Like you're getting two yeah. for one. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, he is really, you know, open about that. He basically says that this issue that, you know, David and I were coming at the story from, which is saying, you know, why don't you just label it? Why don't you just say where it comes from? And that kind of gets rid of a lot of this kind of gray area. And he said that's an issue for legacy media. That's not something that he thinks is a problem. Um but he kind of goes back and forth. He has hired reporters from legitimate news publications or reporters right out of college who really want to be journalists. I spoke to five of them for this story. They considered themselves real straight journalists and all of them left because they didn't feel comfortable with what was going on ultimately at the end of the day. Four of them told me that on multiple occasions that there was influence, that either they were specifically told stories to write specifically told how to write them with talking points or had their actual stories um, changed by Peter directly. Uh, one reporter told me on background that he had written a story and he had basically found out who was behind this dark money group that was part of a camp, a local campaign race. And when he wrote the story up and was really proud of himself for being able to follow the money, you know, he was right out of college. And um, Peter said, remove the name of the guy because the guy was a consultant, a well-known consultant, yep. and he didn't want to have to kind of go that mile. That does not happen in standard journalism. And so, yeah. you know, that is kind of the point of the story is to, to highlight this kind of nuance where people, the readers of these stories think that these are legitimate stories. And some of them might be, but there's a lot of other pieces out there that are maybe written because they paid for him or because someone paid him to write them. Or there are other stories there that have been written in a certain way because they are advertisers. Can you can you give us more examples like you just did, just so like the listener can have, you know, the story colored in, in their mind and have a sense of what's happening with this coverage? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, Florida politics at its heart is a, it's kind of, we call it, we, we likened it as to the Politico of Florida. And there is a Politico of Florida, but we're thinking of like, it covers not just in a newsletter, but the day-to-day -day ins and outs of local Florida politics. And from an outsider outside of Florida, you might say like, why does that matter? But Florida is a huge state. It's a very important state. There's so much going on with it on a daily basis in I'm terms sorry. of politics. I don't, mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like just, just for the viewer understands the difference. I, I read political Florida almost every day. 
and they actually do a lot of like pay to play pieces. The difference is that they'll have a, a piece, yeah. very clearly, yeah, have yeah, a mar- piece paid for by like Shell, right? The oil company, but it'll say this is sponsored content paid by, by Shell. Shell. At least you know, you know, like where it's coming from. Yeah, Which is worthy of its own brand of criticism, but it's a it's part it's 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 a separate and apples and oranges to what yeah. what Florida politics they call it is sponsored uh, content, yeah. right? I mean that's yeah. what it is. And but they clearly label that this article has been sponsored. We wrote this because mm-hmm. we got money to write this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- so, there's a mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go, go ahead, go ahead, continue yeah. uh, telling us about the, the story. Yeah. I just wanted the reader to know that because so like yeah. standard practice, but it's just crazy what Florida politics is doing. Well, well, Tomas, you had brought up examples, right? And the example, and like the example that we were talking about right before you joined us, Miranda, was that um, there was a, a time that I recently, in our own group chat, brought up um, this oddity of the publisher, Peter Scorch, pub- publishing back in April. Um, what what is tantamount to just a press release from Meta from Facebook about job creation and economic impact with no examination of like anything else about meta and facebook and it took us a couple days i was like why is the publisher of florida politics writing about this sure enough banner ads and you know skyscraper ads and then um you know other uh, adjoining um you know types of of uh, sponsored materials started showing up and in your reporting you talk about how these were packages that that um that people uh were that that candidates that representatives of organizations had arrayed to them this was part of the media buy oh you're going to get some positive coverage along with your standard you know advertisement placement right exactly and he promotes those he usually reaches out to people he asks to buy he has what i believe is a kind of text chain and he texts them out to all of his advertisers or candidates or people who have bought with him in the past and he says here's a specials for the next month or the next quarter, or sometimes he even reaches out when he's about to go on vacation. And he says, here are some deals. I'm going to go on a cruise. I've, I've looked at these text messages myself, so I'm not really ad-libbing here. It's actually something he has asked. Or one recently said, no, actually, I'm not going on a cruise, uh, but I am asking you to, to advertise. And I, I, I was yeah. tickled by that. The one where he specifically is calling out, this is not for yeah. a cruise. I just need to close the quarter strong or something along those lines. Yes. And uh, and so he, you know, he does ask people to advertise. And in part of the package that he's, you know, offers to them is something that's called native content. And so native content on its face is a very advertising term, but it means content that looks legitimate. And so in typical native content, when you hear that in in your newspaper, it's content that looks legitimate, but your byline might say, as written by the candidate who's running, or, you know, a line at the top saying like, this was paid for by Florida Crystals. Uh, Peter doesn't do that. Nothing on his website is labeled as paid for by anyone. And he has, you know, told us in, in interviews when we've asked him about specific content that just looks straight up like it's sponsored content or, as, as you said, just republished press releases that they that he does have them as subscribers, uh, as advertisers. Uh, um, Florida Power and Light is one of them. He has told us that he routinely annually gets money from them as advertisers. Uh, Tampa Electric is another big one. We saw quite a few positive articles for them recently all across his website. Um, But oftentimes a lot of his uh, publishers are actually lobbyists or they're big um, groups that represent like agricultural interests. And so it's really hard to find, you know, 
who is benefiting from this coverage because it's coming from yeah. some of these kind of opaque groups. And so as yeah, it's very inscrutable, sometimes you have to do some research to figure out like, why does this guy care so much about phosphor, um, you know, levels in water? What, 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 and, but sure enough, if you do some digging and look at some of the archived, um, advertisements and, and and you can kind of piece together retroactively these sponsorship packages you'd be like oh i see they paid for this article with this headline and with this skyscraper yeah. ad. and, and yeah. it, it's not just like special interest groups right because we live in a representative democracy and a lot of this stuff needs to be approved by the florida legislature right like the florida senate are the ones who as we've covered extensively on this podcast appoint the, the people who serve the public in this public service commission to regulate, you know, or, or, or utility monopoly in the state. So it's all connected. And, you know, we're going to have Unic Ortiz in a little bit, uh, who's a friend of mine, by the way. But, um, yeah, like, it's, they, he also does this, like, packages for candidates, political campaigns, and their consultants. So do you mind also talking about the electioneering aspect of this sort of, like, pay-to-play schemes that he runs? Yeah, I mean, I will first say that it's not technically electioneering because it is technically legal under Florida law. But the 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 the, the shows kind what of- you know, Tomas. Mm-hmm. We're so bad that that it's legal. <laughs> Florida, baby. I will say that most of the stuff I cover, you know, with all these contents, is it's 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 questionable ethical behavior, but usually is technically legal. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's right, right? But it just means there's no law against it. And so the the question actually with, with the, the candidates buying content and not being labeled is it's actually bad for the candidate. The candidate can be the one that can ultimately get in trouble here because there are a lot of election laws about labeling where their money is going, money they're getting from, you know, PACs that are advertising on behalf of them or money they're getting directly donated from. And so on a federal level, there have actually been more stringent laws passed about like if you are publishing on an online news site, you have to label this is paid for by so-and-so for his campaign. But on a state level, Florida does not regulate that. And so that is kind of still a murky water um, that they're wading into. And maybe that will change, but at this point in time, it's not. But what's really interesting about the candidates in, that I have heard from most of the, the candidates I talked to, I mean, we spoke to, we had three candidates on the record tell us that they specifically were asked to or engaged in this kind of pay-to-play scheme. Um, some, you know, saying that they felt like it was completely okay. Others saying that they felt uncomfortable with it, that they may be engaged and then backed off of it after kind of learning more about what they were paying into. But when you look at the races that he weighs into, most of them are, you know, state races, they're bigger names. A lot of the people who kind of flagged for me, this is how we knew that he was getting paid was when he was paying attention to really small races. Mm -hmm. There was one race in particular that he paid attention to back in 2020 for the Tallahassee uh, City Commission race, where it was a race. This was Jack Porter, right? That is right. Exactly. Jack Porter was running. And um, she was, you know, running on a progressive podium and she was running against an incumbent, but the incumbent, Elaine Bryant, had actually been kind of appointed to her position. And Peter wrote under his byline a couple of columns that specifically were very positively Bryant and kind of alleged that Porter was racist because she was running against a person of color and aren't liberals supposed to be supportive of people of color. And I did talk to Porter for this story and she said that she thought that it was such a bizarre thing and she wasn't even expecting Florida politics to cover the race because 
it was such a small race and that she had never been reached out to for comment. The story was just completely written and you know, never had a sigh, wasn't asked to advertise nothing. But what we were able to find looking at the donations is because candidates who pay directly, you know, do have to show where their money is going for in their races, is that Elaine Bryant had paid a, a communications firm. Uh, Steve Van Cor runs the communications firm and he's a very close friend of Peter Schwarz. And she paid him the day for digital media, the same day of Peter's second column, you know, supporting her candidacy. I was going to say politics also like is a pre- is pretty well situated for a model like this because you were talking about like you talked to candidates who felt uncomfortable or had ethical qualms but they might have also made the consideration that even if they feel that this is unethical their opponent might not feel so and it they put, could be putting themselves at a disadvantage if they didn't you know um cooperate and, and, you know, make the payment. Um, I wanted to ask also, just because one thing that struck me about the article is how many people spoke to you on condition of anonymity. Um, I wanted to ask if you've heard from any of your sources since the article has been released, um, are they, is there a sense of relief? Is there a sense of anxiety? I want, you know, obviously you're pretty well insulated from, from bringing this to light, but for the people you talk to, like, well, obviously not naming any names, but, um, if you have heard from anyone, what is, what is the, their yeah. sense of, of the article? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, all the sources we talked to basically came out and said that they were really happy with, you know, the story coming to light. Uh, we had a lot of people reach out to us and saying, this has been something people have been talking about for years, but you actually got the receipts, which was our goal in, in doing the story and why we spent so so much time trying to find, not weeding through not just the, the hearsay, but actually finding proof of this kind of accusation and, and that this is what was happening. Uh, I had a lot of other people reach out and say, oh, he did this to this campaign I ran, or he did this to this candidate, or he very clearly backs this company. Uh, but I will say that there's still an atmosphere of fear you know, a lot of the sources I talk to still don't feel comfortable going on the record, even though they now know that there's you know other people who did and that they are not alone. And that's because Florida politics is still a huge mouthpiece in the state. Yeah. It is one of the it is the you know one of the only online papers or you know publications that cover politics like this. And candidates and corporations still know they need it because they need the clicks, they need the eyeballs, they want the coverage. And when they're running for campaigns, not only is it helpful to have those articles online, but they can then use them in their campaign mailers. Look at this incredible headline that I had written about me. And so it's kind of just part of the ecosystem of politics. And they know that it's not going away. So not only do they feel like they need Florida politics, but also Peter has a bit of uh, angry streak. I mean, he yeah. is well known for attacking people online. He calls them out by name. He openly blocks them on Twitter. And so I just don't think that a lot of people have the wherewithal to go toe-to-toe with him, despite the fact that they know that they feel uncomfortable with his business practices. I worked in the state legislature, and um, this ha- this has been like a Florida's worst kept secret for a long time. I commend you on your piece. I, I agree with the people said that you got the receipts. I mean, look, when when we read the piece, um, and we decided to do this, I was like myself a little worried uh, about doing this because I work in the advocacy space, um, and yeah, like he does have a kind of like a streak for for vendetta, you know, and. I think you actually re- retweeted this or reposted whatever it's called these days. But 
Um, he he does like this this segment. I think it's every week. That's called Florida Losers and Winners, yeah. and he put three individuals in uh, this uh, list with like threats, like snitches get stitches and other things that are like in reference of just like mafia talk, basically with, you know, like slight violent language directed at these individuals on his blog after the story was published, you know, that's crazy. I mean, what what was your reaction when you saw that? It's always interesting to see how the subjects you report on respond after your story comes out. I mean, we we had months of conversation with Peter, you know, on background and on the record. So I didn't think that he would be shocked by anything that came out in the story. But uh, it, it was definitely, you know, disheartening to see threats to anyone written anywhere. And, and you know, he put basically he referenced mainstream media. I think he wrote like they hate us because they ain't us, which yeah, is sure. Okay, fine. Uh, but then he listed the names of two former political um, Florida politics reporters who he thinks talked to us for the story and threatened. I mean, I would say that it's probably my opinion is it seems threatening. Uh, you know, one of them was, I think, a quote from some sort of gangster movie. It was like, I know it was you, Fredo. Yeah, the Godfather. And then the other one was, yeah. And then the other one was snitches get stitches, which is obviously uh a concerning thing to write and to call out, you know, these two people by name on a very well-known and well-read publication. Also, uh, also so, revelatory, right? Because you're acknowledging that they snitched on something. You yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're acknowledging that there is something that you've participated in with mm-hmm. them for which they would want to or might potentially snitch. It's kind of telling on yourself a little bit more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just the most interesting thing for me watching some of the kind of reaction to the story, too, is I saw so many people, you know, Peter kind of did respond to it online and other people were tweeting about it and some were defending him and some were saying, I didn't know this was real. And I think it's always the everyday readers and their tweets that I find the most interesting because, again, the insiders knew that this was pay to play. That's what we always heard. But it was the everyday readers just trying to stay in contact with what was going on in their state legislature who did not know this because nothing was labeled so because they weren't being told that by the lobbyists on the inside. They weren't working out of Tallahassee. And someone tweeted to Peter in his defense, you know, one of his kind of I will comment on this later tweets and said, Peter, why don't you just label this as it is? Why don't you just label the stories when they are paid by other people? Because that's giving up the ghost. That is. And I want to I want to thank you, Miranda, for joining us. We're going to talk to Unique next. But um, uh. That is giving up the ghost. That is the, you know, in an era where, like, everybody is figuring out, hmm, what kind of norms can we just throw out without breaking the law? Do you think that the Miami Herald and the Sun Sentinel and the Orlando Sentinel and the Democrat couldn't have just done something like this and made money? Of course, they could have just been unethical. They could have just done this. But there's a reason that it's not against the law, but it's against their bylines because, it, it's it's the wrong way to do business in journalism. And what scares me is how you, in your reporting, you mentioned the fact that, that the business model so far is successful. He is making money and it looks like he has his eyes uh, outside of South, uh, South uh, outside of Florida into the rest of the Southeast of the U S. And um, we really appreciate your reporting. It's a, it, it was a very insightful and interesting article. Thank you. Thank you very yeah, much. You, I appreciate you for having me and reading. <laughs>
We're now joined by Eunuch Epstein Ortiz, a political strategist, EVP of Communications at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. And she's quoted uh, at length in this investigation that we've been talking about, about the experience of being a communicator in the world of Florida politics, being a candidate in the world of Florida politics, and having to deal with the outlet Florida <laughs> politics. Um, so welcome, uh, Eunuch, for, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start with your recent run for, um, for, for, for the seat and your decision to purchase the way that the article begins, uh, your decision to purchase an ad package from Florida po politics. Um, so you did that because you kind of were advised like, hey, this is the thing to do. You know, you're going to run for office in Florida. This is a, you know, where you kind of get the attention of the movers and shakers. And so you did walk us through what happened after that. Sure. And it wasn't just a, um, you know, I, th I think it's the worst kept secret in Florida politics uh, that the website Florida Politics requires you to pay for positive coverage. Um, you know, I experienced that when in a previous role I was running uh, campaigns of targeting, you know, trying to turn out infrequent voters in communities of color. And we had a number of articles, positive articles written by Florida Politics, which was great. We were getting coverage of, of what we were doing. And the follow-up I got directly from Peter by email uh, was at inquiring after a few of those articles ran, hey, would, would you like to buy one of my ad packages? And I was like, well, I don't think infrequent disengaged voters in communities of color read floridapolitics.com, so that wouldn't make sense for our campaign. But thank you so much for reaching out. And his response was, well, that's not how it works. Mm. And I will never forget that exchange in 2018 so fast forward to 2021, when I launched my campaign for state Senate, I was very well aware of the ad model and the business model that Florida politics runs. I don't think Peter is shy about the business he is running. The problem I have with it is twofold. One, he writes articles and writes stories that have just blatant misinformation in them. He was, and the reporters there, there was a number of reporters who spoke on anonymity in the piece that was run by NPR um, that said that they were encouraged to run the same business model and, and run stories and what looked like uh, news and journalism that had misinformation and disinformation in it. Why? Because people are going to come to you and say, hey, why are you writing something about me that's not true? Why are you misrepresenting me as a candidate in my case, in my personal case? And we asked, and you know, the response we got was, well, don't you want to talk to uh, folks in Tallahassee? Don't you want to talk to some of these lobbyists? And the answer was in our case, well, you know what? Let's, let's try to work with Florida politics because at this point, which I think candidates across the state, across every county face this every election cycle, how can you get in front of the folks to make sure your name is out there, to make sure you are a credible candidate? Because sadly, the way our electoral system is run, it's not good enough that you are someone who wants to do the work and you have good ideas. You have to now play this game, even though really what it should be about is your constituents voting for you. And he has built this model on the backs of not following FCC and FEC regulations to say, hey, this article was paid for by this candidate's committee. He runs this model because he's making money and making ad dollars, as he said himself, millions of dollars a year by getting ads bought for 
So that way he can run the articles he wants to run in the way he wants to run them. So back to your original question, which was how it came about. I'll never forget. First article that came out, misstated what I fundraised. Said, said the number I fundraised was not the number I fundraised. Second article that came out, misstated what I fundraised. And I started to see in the conversations I was having with folks saying, hey, like, are you doing okay? Like, is your campaign okay? And it sounds yeah. small, but when you're running for office, those things matter. And what he has built is an entity that is okay running lies. That way he can make money to run the truth. When in fact, as a publisher, as he likes to call himself, I don't care if it's a publisher, a journalist or anything else, if you're going to post something online, have it be the truth. Yeah. I just want to, I want to sidebar that because uh, to, to a lot of people listening, they might think like, okay, well, you know what? I open the Miami Herald every day and they get facts wrong. It's not that. There's a difference between what we call in the industry, a set rec and a correction, having to run like, oh, I got this number wrong. And purposely adjusting and framing things mm -hmm. to make it be like, oh, the ad, the, the candidate who didn't pay me, uh, flagging campaign, not mm. doing good, not 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 looking good, you know. Basically, and, let's be honest, to shake down a candidate. Right. It's an entreaty for a sales pitch because it sounds like you got uh, your your request. I, I'm trying to imagine in my head during my time as, as a reporter at the Miami Herald, whether like if, if somebody called me for a correction because I'd make I'd made a mistake in their article that I pitched them advertising. And it seems so discordant to the idea of what journalism should be mm -hmm. and not trying to sound all high and mighty about journalism or whatever. But like that's really egregious. But it seems like that's become sort of the state of play for, for folks like yourself. It, it must be concerning because if you're progressive, if you're on the left, if you're liberal, if you're democratic, people don't like to talk about this that much, but you, you're usually outspent and you're outgunned in, by, in, in, in money. So while he positions himself as being this sort of above the fray, above the partisan politics, it's like, well, you're still kind of lending yourself to whoever has the money to pay you, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's still that gravity. Yeah, and look, there are very few, and by very few, I mean one issue in the state of Florida that Republicans and Democrats can agree on. And it's the fact that this sort of business model Peter has been running has got to go. You see a lot of Republicans in that story by NPR uh, talking, speaking out. You know, Rep. Ana Escamani also spoke out on the Democratic side. You know, sitting elected, you have folks speaking on anonymity. And frankly, you have folks speaking on anonymity because they're afraid of the backlash, right? I, I have said this several times. Peter is not the reason why people win and lose election. Peter is not the reason why policy gets passed or not. But there is an influence there. There is an influence in trying to set a tone and a narrative or trying to shame folks that's going to make it increasingly harder. And let's take away the fact of writing fake or truth or whatever he does to, to make his millions as he has self uh, undisclosed um, in this article, there are rules when you run for office as a publisher that if someone is giving you money to run what is considered to be an ad, you have to have a disclaimer. That is a violation of federal law, no matter what level of office you are running for, to not have that disclaimer. Yeah, Eunuch, I, I want to follow up on that, actually, if you don't mind. And I, I don't think you mind because you just stated it and you also tweeted about this. But yeah, he is in in, in, in violation of, of FEC laws, FEC regulations. Like, what can happen here? You know, like, can there be some sort of consequence mm -hmm. 
to Florida politics for enga engaging these sort of like, you know, pay to play schemes? Nationally, we're seeing not FEC, but nationally, we're seeing a crackdown on mis and disinformation online, right? That is, is separate from what Florida politics is conducting. And right, folks posting on social media, deep fakes of Joe Biden or Trump saying something they never said. That's one piece of this. This is something so niche that it's going to take the will of that federal agency to lean in here and start investigating. And I think by NPR writing on this, you know, 10 years ago, the Tampa Bay Times did a very in-depth investigation on this business model um, by you guys talking about it, by folks continuing to talk about it. It might bring to light and might bring urgency by the federal, by FEC to lean in here and say, you know what, let's look at the books. Because if he is self-disclosing that he has made millions of dollars off this business model, and then what you're seeing on his website is the same three static ads that are always showed, where is that money coming from? And then you go online, you go to the public records, you don't see any of these candidates saying that they bought ads with his site. Also, because they all go entities. Also yeah. knowing like how like you wouldn't know like many I think a lot of people wouldn't know it, um, but a lot of journalists are not just like underpaid but they're overworked like they have a lot of deadlines to meet especially with the attention economy the way that it is now you're always hungry for content to have to um you know uh, post out to your audience so when someone approaches you with a statewide labor campaign and a site is able to say we're taking a pass on that that kind of opens the doors to you must have a lot of other stories that you're working on to be able to take a pass on a story that's basically you're being approached with um mm -hmm. or the engagement is not what's driving the revenue. Yeah, I, I don't think he gets a ton of eyeballs on his site. I think the eyeballs on his site he gets is- Thank you, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like this is something we've been running around when we talk about this website, is that it is influential within a tiny pool very of very wealthy, mostly white guys. It's 100%, and again, he does not decide anything in the state of Florida. But for some reason, he's created this business model that is breaking federal law and is continuing to do so that is putting the fear. And, and my concern, I don't care about the folks who are huge lobbyists, make a lot of money, and this is like a drop in the bucket in their ad buy every year, right? You have yeah. lobbying firms, you have corporations, and you have very, you know, statewide, countywide, and even state elected officials say, yeah, you know, here's my check. I'm not concerned about them. They got God's money. I'm concerned about the everyday candidate who's trying to break through in Pinellas County, Hillsborough, Pasco, Orange, down in Miami, the everyday person who wants a fair shot at getting quality journalistic coverage of what they're trying to do. Because what happens is, is you have a site like this that is attacking those folks or not covering them or misleading and misrepresenting them. And then the cards are immediately stacked against them. We need quality people running for office, not just the same old folks running every single time. And you're only going to get there because earned media is one part of it. And I'll give you a great example. Richie Floyd in St. Pete, 2021. He ran openly as a member of the DSA in Pinellas, Pinellas County. And he won, I mean, miles, like whooped his opponent because he had a very, very key uh, organizing strategy. He was knocking on doors for over a year, every single day, every single week. Ask me if Florida politics ever covered that campaign. 
Yeah, no. of course not. I mean, I think it was a footnote in like winners and losers after the election was over that like, oh yeah, this like random kid won. Yeah. But meanwhile, you know, we're just talking about it with Miranda. He like zeroed in, you know, on, on Jack Porter in Tallahassee and just, you know, tried to like derail her campaign at every single, you know, turn. I mean, so yeah, it's because he was getting paid by all these like Tallahassee insiders yeah. that want to derail her and, and Jeremy Matlow right. on behalf of, you know, John Daly and, and that constellation of, of people. He would say to you, you Nick, he, and based on the way that he is, is presenting himself in this article, he would say, oh, ask me if, if I covered that race. Well, ask me if the kid cut a check. And that's, and he, it seems, there's been three or four times in our short conversation where you've said something where I almost wanted to, the journalist inside of me wanted to pipe in and say, allegedly, allegedly. And then I remember like, no, it's not allegedly, it's him saying it. He's saying that he's doing these He's things. He's literally, if you look at all of the coverage, he's already putting it out there. None of us need to break this news. He's already putting it out there. And that's why I keep <laughs> calling it the worst kept secret in Florida politics. It's very well known. I mean, you know, Richie did not get a check. It's clear by the coverage he got. And look at any of these other races across the state. We have a special election in HD 35. I'm looking at his website right now. Tell me where I can find information about that. Yeah. Right. And I mean, look, at the end of the day, I would love a website with journalistic integrity that covers the nuances of Tallahassee and every county and city commission in the state of Florida. We need that. Because local news doesn't have the capacity to cover that. People need to understand the news they're getting. But the fact is, is anything you read on the site is going to have a slant. And that's why every single story on the site has to have a disclaimer per federal law that says brought to you by. Eunuch, I, I wanted to ask you also, you know, because I, I think you're really brave by coming in uh, and, and talking about this and talking to Miranda. Um, and yeah, just, just, you know, talking about your experience, uh, I, I, as I told Miranda, right before you came in, I was like worried myself to talk about this, to be honest. And I'm, you know, we've known each other for a while. I'm usually like a pretty fearless person, to be honest, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I, I don't scare easy. And I was worried about talking about this because, you know, he is like a, a, a kind of a petty person with a, with a mean streak. Uh, have you like, well, well. Have you talked to other candidates without naming any names, of course, uh, about this, that have experienced something similar as you? And, and what, what has been their reaction, if so? Yeah, there's a really, really cool thing that happens when you run for office, and that's the community you create, not only here locally, I'm in Pinellas County, but uh, across the state, and you get to meet other candidates. I have not met a single candidate in this state from 2021 into 2022 that wasn't at least pressured into doing this. Now imagine the number of people who registered to run for office and let's take away 30% and then multiply that number by anywhere from five to $20,000 or more, depending on their level of office. So much money, the amount of money that's going through. You know, you you kind of touch on something that I I wanna discuss here. And again, we don't have to name names uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, but there's like sort of like a, a you know, consultancy, like pipeline to paying for this coverage, right? So from your experience or from what you have observed, is this consultancy pipeline advising this because of like just a strategic imperative of just like, we have to get this good coverage so we can, you know, show a, a, 
that we're fundraising and we can get, you know, lobbyists and, and donor groups to give us money? Or are they like in cahoots with him and they're getting like a kickback or or is it a mixture of both? Like, what have you observed? You think Peter's sharing his money? <laughs> I mean, come on now. The man gloats about Disney cruises are expensive. Yeah, exactly. The man gloats about his cruises, his rental property on the water, right? Like he just doesn't like I would never I would be very surprised. Um I do think to your former point though, like when something continues to happen, it's like you don't fight it, you just go with it because you're you're just trying to move the ball forward. And I sympathize with candidates all over the state where you just look at it and you say, how am I going to overcome this normalcy that has been this way for 10, 15 years, however long the site's been around? Guess what? That's one of the reasons why I spoke out. Because I was like, you know what, Peter, that website's inconsequential to me. That that brings up a good point, though. I would would love to ask you to take off your, you know, politics and and candidate hat and put on your comms hat because you're you're a comms person mm-hmm. like I am. And advising an organization, like, do you, is there ROI in, like, is there practically ROI in engaging in this? Like, does it make sense to, to actually, you know, pay the, pay the bounty or pay the, pay, pay the, pay the ransom and, and that, that's, that's return mm-hmm. on investment yeah. for, sure. <laughs> for like, yeah. sorry. No. Well, you know, in communications, they always are like, okay, well, you know, you, you, you asked us to spend 10 grand a month on Facebook last year and we didn't get any ROI. Oh, you get, you, you had us spending, you know, targeted ads on this website and we did get ROI. And I just wonder, does it work or is it more like a troll toll that you have to pay in order to, 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 to even play the game? You know, I think it's to Tomas's point, it's like the fear of the negative backlash from not doing it mm-hmm. and the continued negative and misinformation coverage you would get versus anything positive you would get out of it. Yeah, you get a link, right? I mean, I had hundreds of thousands of people on my email list. I would send it out. You get what, a 1% click through rate, right? Like that's just the normal standard, um, yeah. the normal standal, standard metric. But that's not worth it to me, right? If I was looking at an ad model and the ROI I get from Florida politics is something like NBC News would say, hey, here's our here's the ROI we anticipate you get. I would say that's not worth my money. But I'm also not fearful of NBC News coming yeah. after me. That they're going right. to turn their guns on you. They're going to start <laughs> like, putting their own money behind articles that lie about you, right? And, you know, in this case... It was, he was misrepresenting and lying in articles and not fixing it when we asked him to. So yeah, so Florida politics, you know, writing misinformation and lies. That's what I've heard largely from candidates across the state as to why they feel like they need to buy an ad package. No one is tracking the ROI of these static ads. No one is getting, and honestly, he doesn't even provide that information back to you. And I wouldn't even believe him if he tried to tell me how many people clicked through because I would just assume he's lying. So, you know, for me, it's not a what's the ROI I'm getting from this. It's how can I mitigate the lies that will be written about me? Yeah. And just, you know, wrapping up, um, because, you know, you you know, a lot of people work in politics and in advocacy in this in in Florida. Um, Similar to the last question, have you have people reached out to you? uh, Both congratulating you, but also saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm considering um continuing to to spend money on this on this you know on this website 
So when the NPR story came out, no one reached out uh, saying that, oh, how could you have done this? I had an overwhelming response of people saying, finally, someone's talking about this. But those same folks are not willing to speak either, and I don't blame them, right? I think when people start to realize that this influ- the influence we give Florida politics is literally ours to control and something we can really not give this guy any level of any influence over the state and how our politics runs. The other type of folks that uh, reached out were candidates who are currently running for office asking me my advice. Should I pay him the money? Then my advice was clear. I said, you know what? You're going to end up spending five, 10, 20, $30,000, depending on your seat. Could you go use that money somewhere else? Could you go get it? It's a lot of money for a small candidate, right? Um, And then the third type of uh, reach out that I, uh, outreach that I got from folks when this article dropped um, (laughs) was, wow, I can't believe you actually said something. Has he reached out to you? And I had a couple people ask me that. And my response was, he knows better than to call me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for joining us. And and more than that, thank you for for hooking up with uh, NPR and um, Floodlight and being sort of the lead person who was unafraid to, and by the way, no shade to the people who are staying off the record. Yeah. I get it, man. You yeah. got a career if you're young, you know, it's, it's tough. Unique is kind of like a pretty established, well-respected, very well-respected person here in Florida. So like it would take a lot for a guy like Peter to Peter Sorcher, that organization to knock her off her block, but I get it. But still we do need folks like you and thank you so much for being a voice to, to tell the, you know, to, to tattle on the worst secret held in uh, Florida media, uh, Florida politics. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, no shade to anybody else. We get it. But Matt, respect to you, Eunuch. And and to all the folks who are well-established in the state, there there are plenty of of us, and thank you so much for the kind words, David, but there are plenty of folks who are well-established. And reach out when you're ready to speak up because it's going to just take a couple of us to make sure that we can stop this trend and we can really have a transparent and a process full of integrity that doesn't include a website like this. Yeah, and at this point, to be honest, just before we close, what is what else? What else is there to speak out on, right? I mean, the article's written, and Peter is admitting to everything basically, and kind of unapologetic. So at this point, it's just like, just don't spend money on this crap, crappy website. Like, 